This morning I want to talk about the issue of being a minority in regard to the gospel. In Matthew chapter 7, it says, ask and you'll receive. Some translations says, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be open. What Jesus is saying is that there's open access to my kingdom. But within verses, you hear this declaration go in through the narrow gate. The gate to destruction is wide, and the road that leads there is easy to follow. A lot of people go through that gate. But the gate to life is very narrow. The road that leads there is so hard to follow that only a few find it. First time I really grappled with that verse, there was almost an anger in me and said, what do you mean? How can a majority of people be headed for destruction? Where's the fairness in that? Where's the good God who allows a narrow way? And, uh, you know, as, as you walk through that, you have to acknowledge that never has being in the minority been an issue for God. He doesn't worry about that. And the truth is, if he does things right, it doesn't matter whether people embrace it or not, it's still right. Ever been in a car before GPS? Most of you haven't, I guess. Um, if one person knows the directions... It doesn't matter if everyone else in the car is saying, I think we had to turn that way. You still won't get to the destination unless you follow the directions of the one who knows. My kids, one of their favorite memories is the day that I stopped for directions. Because <laughs> I knew. No. <laughs> well, in God's economy, what he does is right. And so even in regard to the Garden of Eden, he only had two people in there, and they sin, and he says, I don't want you in here anymore. And so right from the very beginning, there's an awareness that God does things differently than what we're used to. He, he takes on this thing in, in several capacities, and as the children of Israel are in the wilderness, there's this declaration made to them in Leviticus that says, you'll chase and destroy your enemies even if there are only five of you and a hundred of them, or only a hundred of them and ten of you and ten thousand of them. He says, I'm going to give you power and authority over situations that the odds say you shouldn't have power in. In Deuteronomy, there's a warning that goes the other direction. It says, if you turn away from me, he says, one of your enemies will put to flight a thousand and two ten thousand of you. So there's this warning that comes out to them. They saw things like this happening in their history. David's mighty men are listed in 2 Samuel and also in 1 Chronicles. But one of the stories that comes out was a man named Eliezer. He and David challenge an army and say, Let's fight. And all of the soldiers around them, their buddies and their friends, flee. So there's only two of them left. Well, that's enough. 
and they fight. And it says of Eliezer, his hand froze to the sword. In other words, it, it cramped in such a way that he couldn't let go. But at the end of the battle, all that's left for their friends is to come back and pick up the loot. That, you know, wins him an award, so to speak, or it gets his name into the scripture. It was a tremendous victory. But it was fighting from the point of smallness and still saying, with God, that's enough. When you walk through scripture, okay, we mentioned Adam and Eve. In the case of Noah, one family was saved. You go further on and, and you read of Abraham, one family was picked out and selected and said, through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Seventy of those went down into Egypt, came out 400 years later plundering the Egyptians. You read that uh, when John the Baptist was going out, it was a lonely place. He was in the wilderness. There was... There was a solitude to that. When Jesus goes to the cross, he's the only one being put to death for his message. And yet, in that loneliness comes our salvation, or has been, our salvation's been provided. I read things in the New Testament of, of uh, you know, the 12, and I'm going, that's not a very big group to start with. Then there were 70 sent out, and you're going, that's still not very much compared to the world's population. Nor is 120 in the upper room. Or the 2,000 saved at the day of Pentecost. Or the 5,000 listed later on. Numbers have not been the thing in the beginning of our faith. You read the story of Paul, and he's talking a little bit about the struggles, and he talks about a day and a night in the open sea as a part of a shipwreck. And you're going... That would have been brutal. Can you imagine? If it had been during the day, you might have been able to see land initially and say, well, there's a hope. I just got to go that direction. If it happens at night, you're spending a whole night going through your energy wondering, am I ever going to see anything again? Solitude is not a reason to doubt the power of God. Some of you are in workplaces that are very dark. You have opportunity to be light. Some of you are in situations where you feel overwhelmed. It's like, how do I get out? There's an opportunity for light to break through. It says, you're the light of the whole world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. Make your light shine so that others will see. When Jesus was talking about the kingdom of God, he talked of it as being like a mustard seed. He said the smallest seed in the garden becomes the biggest plant. I don't know. I'm going to have to take their word for it. But the idea is, even if the kingdom of God starts small, it will grow and grow and grow and grow. Later, he says, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be moved. So when we come and say, well, it's a majority voice, not really. God's the majority. 
He has set their direction. He understands all. And as we tie into that, that's why we choose a narrow gate. That's why we take a path that says, whether others are walking this path or not, if this is the path that God has laid out, this is the path that I follow. Let's do something different right now. I met a man this week who's over at Jacob Betty, the veterans home. I, uh, he had called a couple weeks previous. I wasn't looking forward to it. I found other things to do till this week. It's not righteous. It was wrong, but that's what happened. And uh, it turned out to be a beautiful experience. Incredible man. He had been a part of this church some years ago, had accepted the Lord. He was praying for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you know, where the power of God would just come over him, transform him. And he says, I kept coming up against this thing where I'd stolen $30 from the mine some years previous. He says, I couldn't get past that. So I wrote him a letter and went to see the, the head of the mine, and he said, well, that's in the past, and, and uh, the uh, books are already, you know, we don't want your $30 and mess everything up. But he says, I came back, and suddenly the power of God just fell on me. And he says, it changed my life. It just transformed me. And it's like, how often do we, you know, it was mentioned this morning, how often is there a block like that where we say this is a narrow path and I shouldn't have to go through this gate. But it's something that in our hearts we know this is what God wants. It burdens me that some of you, by the time you're 12, 15, whatever, you've had more profane experiences than anybody should have in a lifetime. And the result of that is that often there's such a darkness as a part of your life that you're wondering, can I even get out of this? It's like being in the sea at night. You know, where's land? Where's light? How do I, which way do I go? And anyone that's wrestled with addictions knows similar things, right? It, it becomes so consuming that the questions start coming up. How do I... Which way would I even go to get out of this? Where's the light switch, so to speak? How do I live without it? This has been so much a part of my life. How do I even break, you know, how, how would my day go without this experience? Will I ever feel different? Even when, when I stop, will I ever miss those? Will I ever stop craving? Will I ever be free? In God, there's an opportunity for light to come in and make transformation. Light drives out darkness. You never hear of darkness just came and squished the light. 
Now, it's light overcomes darkness. That's the principle that we cling to. And in Christ, there's light for our lives. And there's an opportunity to be set free. There are numerous testimonies in this church of people that have had that already in different areas. And it, it doesn't really matter what you're wrestling with. You know, whether it's drugs and alcohol, that can be overcome. Whether it's sexual addiction, that can be overcome. Whether it's gaming or even electronic media. You know, as adults, we just kind of go, that's not really a problem. I just don't ever choose to step away from it. Right. You know, um, there are times, how would I live without that? And in Christ, there's opportunity for a freedom that is not known in any other setting. So here's where we get a little goofy. If this is describing your life and you'd like to be set free, I want you to stand so others around you can pray for you in this moment. Okay? Requires some strength on your part, right? And our courage. drug-free 
for the last few weeks. No withdrawals. God delivered them. What we're saying, sometimes it's slow, sometimes it's immediate, but God does set us free. Okay, we have some people standing. Others want to stand, but in this moment, we're going to pray, okay? So please gather around those that have, there's in the back and over here, okay? We're just going to ask for freedom. Lord, we're asking you to do what we can't. We acknowledge that um, some of the paths of our lives have become, become so convoluted and twisted we don't even see how to, to break out or set ourselves free. But you have done that over and over for people, and we're asking for it this morning. We ask specifically that you'll break off addictions, that you'll break off profane habits and twistedness that's been a part of our lives. We thank you for the courage of those that have stood this morning and we ask, Lord, that you do the powerful of what they can't on their own. One will drive away thousands, two ten thousands in the Lord. We claim that for them this morning. Amen. As a congregation, I think we carry a responsibility to continue in prayer for these that have been bold enough to ask. Okay? And that's our responsibility as we continue. Some of you said, I didn't have enough courage to stand, but I'm certainly controlled by some things. And even in that, God has hope for you as well. We can, we can write it off and say, doesn't matter, but in Christ, if it's always blocking us before we step to him in prayer, we've got to deal with it. That's, that's the issue at hand. And so we pray for that. I want to read one more psalm. This comes from David. And this is Psalm 3. He says, I've got a lot of enemies, Lord. Many fight against me and say, God won't rescue you. He says, but you're my shield and you give me victory and great honor. I pray to you, you answer from your sacred hill. I sleep and wake up refreshed because the Lord protects me. He's running from Absalom, apparently. That's the history of this psalm. So he's, he's running for his life. But he's going, go to bed at night and get up feeling refreshed. <laughs> That's unusual. 10,000 enemies attack from every side, but I'm not afraid. Come and save me, Lord God. Break my enemies' jaws and shatter their teeth because you protect and bless your people. Praise to the Lord. We're going to let those who are praying pray. I'm going to continue on into communion this morning. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. Let's sing a, a song or two, and, and then we'll have communion. Okay? There's a lot of ways to screw up. There's one way to be set free. <laughs> That's in Christ.
I was asked, What's, what does communion mean? It's a good question. I, I guess at times I assume too much. Symbolically, we're recognizing that Jesus Christ lived, died, shed his blood, had his body broken, that we might be set free in him. That our sins would be washed away, that we have the hope of eternal life in him. This has been going on as a part of the church for centuries. Essentially, we're recognizing our part in a, in a grand, large kingdom. It started out small, but has uh, gone through the centuries and continues today. We'll continue to grow until he returns. It's our privilege to participate. Says, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take the emblem of his broken body. same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup is a new covenant in my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me partake of that emblem together whenever you eat this bread drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes praise to our Lord stand with me would you ask God's blessing on you. What remains is open-ended. There will be opportunity for prayer up front here in particular, um, or just hang around. We'll get to you. May a blessing rest on these, your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover with joy the narrow path that leads to life. As each one goes into the community, I pray that you make them light that shines. I pray that their words would bring life, that their deeds would be fitting with the workings of your kingdom. Enable them with the supernatural, I ask. Be exalted and lifted up. We love you this day. Amen. Amen. God bless you.